It's time for Legends of Success with John Resnick. Each week, John presents the most original success stories in America, passionate and inspiring stories from some of the most innovative and successful entrepreneurs alive today. This is Legends of Success. Here's John Resnick. And welcome, my friends, to this very special edition of Legends of Success. This is America's program bringing you the exclusive interviews firsthand with our country's most admired and successful entrepreneurs, CEOs, and acclaimed individuals. And one of the great benefits of joining us every week is you get the chance to gain some wisdom directly from those who have done it. Those who have been through the trenches often starting out with absolutely nothing more than a little seed money and a lot of guts, vision, and tenacity and the courage to believe in themselves when everyone around them may have laughed or maybe they said, you're never going to make it. So if you're trying to get a business off the ground and people are telling you you can't pull it off, I'll let you in on a little secret. Most of those people probably don't have the guts to go try it themselves. Only listen to those who are successful and have accomplished the goals that you now aspire to because they are your source for sage advice. Okay, I'm John Resnick, and I thank you for sharing part of your day with us. You know, let me tell you about our guest today. Tom Golisano started out exactly as I just described, as a young man with an idea and a dream who followed that vision when he was told it wouldn't fly. And today, as the founder and chairman of Paychex, he is now one of the most successful and admired entrepreneurs in America. Let's get a chance to visit with Tom and hear part of his story through and the journey of his life. Let's welcome our guest, Tom Golisano. Tom, welcome to our show and Legends of Success. It's a real pleasure to be here, John. Well, thank you. Uh, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule, Tom. You know, I want to share a few things with the folks uh, before we talk to you about a little bit of history. You know, ladies and gentlemen, let me give you some recent recognitions that Tom Golisano and Paychex has earned. Forbes magazine said... Paychex is one of the best managed companies in America. Fortune Magazine, Paychex is one of the most admired companies in America. Fortune Magazine again this year said that Paychex is one of the best companies to work for in America, and this year Forbes Magazine for the third year in a row said Tom Golisano is one of the best CEOs in America who's delivered shareholder value. And I've got similar accolades from Business Week. Chief Executive Magazine, Wall Street Journal. And I've got one question for you, Tom, before we get into this. I also looked at Forbes, and I looked at the highest paid CEOs in America. I looked at the top 500. You're way down, like number 455, when you easily could put yourself up much higher. Why haven't you taken more? Well, uh, I'm afraid I'm out of the school. It says, I think, in many cases, corporate executives have taken advantage of their companies uh, by paying them... uh, what I would consider to be excessive salaries. I think that one of the things that our shareholders have enjoyed over the years is the fact that, yes, I do have a significant position in paycheck stock, and that's what uh, literally drives me and the organization from day to day, and that I haven't overwhelmed uh, myself, if you can use that word, with excessive compensation either in the form of options or salary or bonuses. Uh, I think we have taken a very conservative approach, and that's what's earned us some of the recognitions that you just talked about. The fact that uh, I think in the last five years, we've been in the top uh, five companies every year for shareholder return versus uh, 
CEO compensation. We're and very proud of that. That's really commendable, especially in this day and age when the microscope is on. You're not, no one's fooling anybody out there, and if they are, they're getting found out too soon, or not soon enough maybe. But, you know, Tom, you've got a fabulous story. You've got the type of what I call Horatio Alger story that our listeners love, and I know you've got some wisdom. And before we go back to see where Tom Golisano started out Give our listeners maybe 60 seconds. Paint a present-day picture of Paychex for those that aren't familiar with your company. Surely. Uh, Paychex today is a provider of not only payroll processing services, but all kinds of human resource services, things like workers' compensation plans, 401K plans, flexible spending accounts, cafeteria plans, and so forth. The market we serve is generally employers that have 1 to 1,000 employees, and currently we have over 505,000 clients across the United States. Uh, we recently uh, opened up a presence in Germany, and we expand to, expect to expand through uh, Western Europe over the next five to ten years. We're very excited about that opportunity. Um, the company uh, did a little over $1.3 billion in revenue last year and had a profit uh, over $300 million. Uh, we have approximately 10,000 employees. Uh, 2,000 of them are based in Rochester, New York, and the rest are based out across the United States uh, of America. Mm. It's uh, that's a fantastic picture. And, you know, when you look back, I believe, uh, straighten me out if I'm wrong here, but you're the same place you started out in your childhood, aren't you, Tom? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I was born in Rochester, New York. I still live in Rochester, New York, and it's uh, my primary residence, and it's the corporate headquarters for Paychex. Yeah. They must love you in Rochester. Well, some days they seem to, and other days it depends on what the stock did that particular day. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, uh, I I really do admire you. know, I'm, I, I tell listeners, I tell my friends, I'm the biggest fan of my own show, uh, not listening to me, but listening to my guests. So this is a real treat for me today, as well as our listeners. Let's go back to the beginning. Tom, you grew up, you were born in Rochester, you grew up there. Was your family financially well off, and what was it like as a kid? Uh, actually, they weren't. As a matter of fact, when I was a teenager going to high school in the community here, my father had to uh, uh, claim bankruptcy, and of course, that was a very uh, discouraging and disappointing moment in my life, but in the same time, uh, it sort of drove me at later times to make sure that uh, myself and my family and everybody around me was going to be as economically secure as they could. Uh, I think I knew I wanted to become an entrepreneur as young as uh, early days in college, I just didn't think I fit into a general corporate environment as an employee, and I was always intrigued by the fact of being able to accomplish uh, the things that I set out for myself to accomplish, my own goals, and be in in a creative mode where I could, you know, create opportunity for myself and those around me. Uh, rather than depending on a corporate environment to create that for me. So I always seemed to have that bent towards entrepreneurism. And when I got out of college, I went to a two-year school in upstate New York, took business management. Um, When I got out of college, I had a series of two-year jobs and uh, uh, working for a bank and then sales uh, for a company called Burroughs Corporation. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I went to work for a payroll processing company called Electronic Accounting System. Before we, before we get right into there, because I think there's a couple of compelling points. I didn't mean to interrupt you. But when you go back, I just want to cover one point, Tom. When your father went bankrupt, and then we'll catch up here, do you remember specifically your worst, darkest hour and specifically how that affected your life? Well, I think there were two things. I think the first one was I remember when the man came to cut the car uh, because the car payments were not being made. And, you know, he came and demanded the keys and drove away with the car. I mean, that leaves a shocking impression on you. Uh, believe me. And secondly, 
my father then went to work for an organization who shall remain nameless, mm-hmm. where, you know, here's a gentleman, and he was in his early 60s, and he was just treated terribly really? by the management of that organization. And I was a direct witness of that um, uh, chastisement, if you want to use that word. And I felt so bad about it, and it just, I said, if I ever get in a position, I will never treat employees the way my father was treated. So those two things had a major impact on sort of my psyche going forward. Did, did you ever, uh, I guess it's tough for a kid. I mean, when you looked at your father, were you still proud of him, but tough to believe in him when he went through those worst times? How did um, that affect you? My father was the type of gentleman, uh, you could do nothing but love him. He was a gentle soul. He was always very kind to me. He was always very supportive. As a matter of fact, uh, in the early days of paychecks, until he was 81 years of age, he was delivering payrolls here in the Rochester community, and he was so, so proud of what we had accomplished, even Hmm. though even though it was in the early days of paychecks. You know, and I, I, I tell you what, I commend him. Not a lot of fathers can be proud or show that they're proud of their sons if they didn't make it themselves. And we've seen this time and time again. Um, I know Jerry Lewis went through that. He was a guest on the show, and he alluded to it that his father, Danny, always wanted to be successful. Uh, he didn't pull it off the way he wanted And when Jerry became a big success, I think it was tough on his father. You know, we get back in a second, Tom. We're going to find out exactly that first job. You alluded to electronic accounting systems. And, folks, if you plan to go on business, if you never dreamed to go on business, you've got to hear this story. This is one of the best. This is pure Americana. Um, Tom Golisano is the founder and chairman of Paychex, starting out with his own idea, bucking the system of the current trend and coming up with a vision and never giving up. Place this man as one of the most admired and successful CEOs in America today. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm John Resnick, and this is Legends of Success. Hi, this is Steve Forbes of Forbes Magazine. When you want to learn who America's most successful people are, read our Forbes 400 list. When you want to hear firsthand how they got there, listen to Legends of Success with John Resnick. Legends of Success is one of the most original radio programs in years. Legends of Success with John Resnick. We're back on Legends of Success. I'm John Resnick. Today, we're honored to invite and welcome Tom Golisano, the founder and chairman of Paychex Corporation. I got to tell you, folks, this is pure Americana. Here's a man that started out, he stuck to it. He never gave up. He had a vision, and he didn't let others around him try to discourage him. And in the previous segment, we just talked about he did not come from a wealthy family. He watched his father go through bankruptcy. He literally watched him come and take the car. He never lost respect for his father, um, but that sure made an impression on him. So he went through, got a good education. So let's go to the 1960s, Tom. Tell us about one of your first jobs, uh, electronic accounting systems. Yeah, so it was in the late 60s, and I had taken a job with this company who did payroll preparation uh, for larger companies, generally 50 to 500 or 1,000 employees. Mm -hmm. And their mentality at the time was the larger the number of employees, the more pleased we are to have them as a client and as a potential prospect. And I became a salesperson and a sales manager for the company. And I just one day I was driving down the street and thinking about my payroll processing world and looking at businesses, and I realized, gee, you know, it seems like most businesses in this country have less than 50 employees. So I went to the library one day and sort of confirmed that fact and found out that uh, 
Um, 98% of the businesses literally in the United States of America have less than 100 employees, and 94% have less than 50 employees. Mm -hmm. And nobody had come up with a payroll processing product that was relevant to that size employer, the 1 to 50 employees. So I started thinking about it, and I came up with three, I guess you'd call fairly creative ideas, relative to the product and the pricing. And if you want, I'd be glad to uh, go over those things very, very quickly. Yeah, th- th- this is your success model, correct? Right. Okay. okay the, let's, first sure. one, the first one, basically, John, was uh, payroll processors back in 1970, when a client was ready to process their payroll, they would have to fill out a very complex computer input sheet mm-hmm. uh, relative to hours, works, and change in deductions and change in marital status. And it fair, took a fairly technical person uh, to be able to comply and cope with the uh, intricacies of this computer input sheet. Mm-hmm. And then also we had to pick it up, physically pick it up, or the client had to mail it. Uh, I came up with the idea, why don't we have clients give us their information right over the telephone? And a typical, and our average size client today has about 14 employees, a typical 14-person payroll takes about two or three minutes on the phone to transmit the information verbally mm-hmm. to a professional on our end of the line. The great thing about it is the client doesn't have to learn how to do anything, uh, can call in their payroll from any place on the earth, and uh, it's just very convenient and very easy and also very economical because we wouldn't have to pick up the data. Sure. The second thing, which was also quite unique at the time, was, you know, being an employer in the United States of America is pretty complex. Mm-hmm. For example, if you have five person, uh, five employees in a company in New York State, you have a minimum of 48 49 payroll tax returns and payments that must be paid every year. And the fines in for noncompliance are quite severe. So consequently, it's quite an administrative burden to be an employer in the U.S., and particularly some of our larger states. Sure. <clears throat> so I said, as part of the service, not, let's not only do the payroll checks and the management reports and so forth, let's also do all the mandated federal and state, state payroll tax returns and payments for the client. And then the third thing was we had to charge a price that smaller employers would be willing to pay. Think of this in 1970 dollars. Minimum charge for doing payroll processing back then was like $24 a pay period, even if you had one or two employees. Mm-hmm. Let me contrast that today with where the minimum charge is about $10. Wow. And this is in 2004 dollars, not in 1970 dollars. So it's economically, it was quite a difference. Sure. So I went to the management of this company that I was working for, and I said, look, there is a whole new market we can go after. And I was willing to do it as an employee, mm-hmm. and I think we could uh, turn it into a significant enterprise, uh, particularly when you look at the number of small businesses in the United States of America, and nobody was focused on that marketplace. And how old were you at this time, Tom? I was 30. Okay, okay. So what happened? So you, well, so you present- I went to them and laid it all out, and uh, the response back very quickly was, no, I don't think we're interested. And uh, one of their rationales was they didn't think the certified public accountants of the world would appreciate paychecks or their company doing payroll tax returns. Mm -hmm. And I said quite the opposite. I think most practicing CPAs would like an organization like ours to do the payroll tax returns for their clients. In any event, they said no. I thought about it for about three more months, went back into them, and laid out the program again, hoping they would change their mind. They didn't. And two weeks later, I resigned and started a company called uh, Paychex. Boy, didn't that take some guts? Well, here were my resources. Okay. I had $3,000 in cash. Right. And I had three credit cards. (laughs) I used the $3,000 to uh, 
to send out direct mail in the Rochester community, and I was hoping to get about 60 or 70 clients from that direct mailing. I think I got six or seven. Oh, boy. And uh, we went through the $3,000 very quickly. So then there was a period of four, three to four years of, you know, beg, borrow, and that other thing just to survive. And they were very tough years. Fortunately, I had a very supportive spouse, and she did have a job, which helped. Uh, but it was uh, like living on the edge for about uh, four years. How I, even had, I even had friends that came in and bought my lunch for me because <laughs> they knew I was in dire straits. I was going to say, how bad did it get? When you went home at night, obviously you must have had a very supportive wife, as you just mentioned, but how tough did it go home at night? Did you have sleepless nights? Did you go to sleep and wake up in sheer uh, fear, actually? Well, I don't know if I'd use the, the words that strongly, but there's no question it you know, it really works on you, and it's always very concerning, and you do wake up in the night thinking about it, and you do wonder where your next meal is going to come and if you're going to be able to pay your bills. On the other side of that coin, uh, John, the fact that I knew or believed in what I was doing yes, and that it was going to work, and it was just a matter of time, that was a great uh, reliever of the pressure, if you will. It that, gave us the stam- stamina to stay with it. That is a heck of a point, and I wanted to ask you, okay, Tom, all entrepreneurs in the world, before they're successful, and even during their success, they have an inner voice that's talking to them. When things were the toughest for you, you spent, you know, you shot your cash, you were wondering where your next meals sometimes were coming from, correct? Yes. What did Tom Golisano's inner voice tell him? Well, my inner voice said, stay with it. Um, you had a steady flow, or we had a steady flow of new clients. And it was just a matter for us to continue that sales cycle that we were going through uh, and be able to stick with it and not get to a point where we couldn't afford, you know, to, to eat or to live or whatever, mm-hmm. but just stay with it because we knew we were putting on clients at a rate that eventually uh, we were going to be okay. But you, it was tough. It, it must have been tough. There were a lot of people try to discourage you at the time, say, Tom, just check out and, and get a real job. Um. Actually, most of the discouragement came before I started. Really? Uh, they didn't really think there was a market for this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but as time went on, uh, some of those doubters became real believers. And, of course, I, I'll tell you very uh, personally, sure. one of my best cheerleaders was my sister. I have a sister that's 13 years older than I am, hmm. and she was a cheerleader all the way. In fact, when things got really, really desperate, uh, it's her financial assistance that saved me. And my sister was a widow with three children, had a very limited income. Jeez. And, but she had so much faith in me. And uh, I can tell you, quite honestly, Jen, uh, herself and her children are significant paycheck shareholders today because of what she did for us. God bless you. That's wonderful. And, you know, later when we get into this program, folks, remember, this is, well, this is a great, pure Americana story. And later on, we're going to talk about just what you heard Tom Galassano is alluding to. Tom, I've done some research, and I happen to know you are very big in giving back and helping people to this day, and I think you dedicate a good part of your life doing nothing but giving back. Am I correct? Well, certainly I've been in a position to have the resources to help certain organizations in this community in western New York, and that's been a very gratifying part of what I've done relative to paychecks, that it's allowed me also to assist these other organizations that perform very important functions mm-hmm. in our community. One of them is the local children's hospital. God bless you. I gave a significant amount of money to them several years ago so that they could build a new wing and a new emergency department and a new cardiac area. Mm-hmm. And 
and I bet I get between one and two letters a week or phone calls from oh. parents of children that have gone through the children's hospital have received, uh, in their opinion, a miracle in success and service, and they want to call me or write me a note and tell me about it. And I can't tell you how gratifying that is. Tom, when you compare the thrill of success, which you're going to get back here, uh, get back on track with that for a moment, when you compare the absolute thrill of success when you knew you are really making it versus getting one of those letters, how do you contrast the two or compare them? Well, I'll tell you, you can't, it's very difficult for me to separate them, John. I mean, I couldn't make the contribution without the success level of paychecks. Mm-hmm. And being able to make the contribution and help all these people is just absolutely, totally gratifying. Well, so one sort of feeds on the other, and obviously I couldn't do the second without the success of Paychex. Ladies and gentlemen, we're listening to the exclusive interview with Tom Golisano, one of America's most admired CEOs. I'm John Resnick. We'll be back right after this. The most original success stories in America with our country's greatest entrepreneurs, billionaires, and acclaimed individuals. They are the legends of success. Once again, here's your host, John Resnick. Tom Golisano is my guest today. I'm John Resnick. This is Legends of Success. Tom has received accolades from Fortune Magazine, Forbes Magazine, Business Week, Wall Street Journal, and deservedly so. He is one of the most admired executives in America today. We're talking to the founder and chairman of Paychex. You know, Tom, coming back from the last break, we're talking about your first location. You went against the grain of your employer. You started your own business. You saw a niche market on the under 50 served and payroll processing, and that first year was pretty tough. How did you then get off the ground and add locations, and did you bring in stakeholders? How did it all take place? Well, I think we ended up being in a very unique situation, John. After the thing had been operating here in Rochester for three or four years, one day an employee of the company I used to work for walked into my door and said, Tom, it looks like, you know, it looks like you're surviving and you're going to make it. And he says, I like the concept, too. Is there any way that we could go in together in a different city? Mm-hmm. And I thought for a few minutes, and I said, well, let's go 50-50 partnership in Syracuse, New York. Mm. And he thought that was a good idea, and we did it. A few months later, an employee of a client walked in the door. And I, I didn't know him very well, but I liked what I had seen of him, and said, Tom, this is a terrific service. He says, I want to go to another part of the country and start one. And I said, Chuck, where do you want to go? And he said, uh, Miami, Florida. And I said, really? I said, Chuck, I'd be willing to go into a partnership with you uh, in Miami. And he thought for a moment, and he says, you know, Tommy, I don't really want to be your partner, but I'll be your franchisee. Set me up as a franchise. Mm-hmm. I thought about that and decided, okay, I'll do it. After I got these two individuals established, I decided what a way to build a a national organization. Mm -hmm. In the next four years, I ended up with six franchise relationships and 11 50-50 partnership relationships. 17 different individuals. All but one lived in Rochester, New York. They all moved to a different part of the country. We trained them in Rochester before they left, and they established a payroll processing operation uh, in their respective cities. What a and growth! We functioned that way until late 1978. Uh, up until 78. Now, now say until 1978. Somewhere you went IPO, and I think that was the early 80s, correct? Yeah, yeah. The next step in our history was actually, actually I woke up one day and I said, "Boy, I got 17 of these partners and franchisees, and we've really done a good job. We're operating in 22 cities. Wow! And we did this in just about four years." <laughs> But there were some issues, John, uh, issues of liquidity, issues of financial strength, 
issues of uh, different ambition levels and so forth and skill set levels. So I got the idea that maybe this would be a great opportunity to combine these now 18 corporations into one. We'd all become employees and shareholders, and we would work towards a much larger goal. Mm-hmm. Well, when I first proposed this, of course, everybody looked at me like I was, what are you doing to us now? No vision. <laughs> you told us you wanted us to be entrepreneurs. Now you want us to now form a larger company and all become employees. Uh-huh. I said, yes, but we could do so much more if we do it. Yes, absolutely. For example, open up more locations, build a much stronger sales force, and do that for about three years, and then the next two years focus on profitability, and then we would be in a position to either sell the company or make it a public corporation. <laughs> I took the group down to the Bahamas in February, mm-hmm. which was always an easier sell. And they, all 17 of them, agreed to go in with me. They made me president and chairman. And um, we became one company in 1979. We set out on our five year goal, just as I outlined it. And in August 1983, we became a public corporation. That's a pretty amazing story because you started out as a uh, solo entrepreneur. You added managers and maybe partners, franchisees, was it tough shifting your responsibility from your, say, core competencies to them becoming a management? Was that a challenge? Uh, yes. Uh, you know, there, there were so many challenges to it. Uh, when we consolidated, for example, you know, I had people that all were presidents of their own company. Sure. They wanted to be, and uh, now they were becoming vice presidents. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was, that was a psyche issue. Uh, some of them had to report to people that, that were their peers just a few days ago. That's a tough transition, isn't it, Tom? It was a very tough transition. And then third, we had to have management reports comparing branches to branches. Oh, boy. Now, all of a sudden, there was a status of who was doing the best job and who was doing the worst job. Sure. And that was tough for them all to deal with. But we hung in there for the five-year period, and then with the uh, public offering in 83, mm-hmm. it was like okay, we delivered this commitment we had made to each other, and it gave us all of us, you know, financial and economic freedom uh, to go on with the rest of their lives. And, you know, some people obviously stayed. Some people retired early. Some people started other entrepreneurial activities. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, it's interesting today, uh, this all happened in 1979. Today, 25 years later, I'm the last person in the company out of the original 18. Is that correct? Wow. And and let me ask you this. When you went from a privately held company, obviously there was a culture. Then comes a transition to becoming a CEO of a public company. Isn't this, Tom, where a lot of the scandals we hear about run into trouble? They cannot adapt to the culture of, of private to public. Well, there's no question that's an issue. And the way we looked at it, uh, we thought with the day we became public corporation, it was a new responsibility. It was mm-hmm. a whole new level of responsibility. And sometimes I think CEOs get fall into the trap, say, well, gee, we just went public. We're done. We made it. We don't have to work hard anymore. Well, quite frankly, it's more the opposite. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the public route for visibility and marketing. Sure. I like the public route for the ability to attract employees. Uh, because the perception is that you're a more stable organization, you're going to be around longer than a privately held company. Mm-hmm. And third, and the biggest advantage, of course, is liquidity for your shareholders and liquidity at a rate that they can choose uh, the speed to which they liquefy. In other words, they could choose not to be a seller, they could choose to be a big seller or something in between. And the ones that stay on as shareholders, they can watch their investment grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that's the best of all worlds. They have that kind of freedom. 
But you have to accept the fact this is a new sense of responsibility, and you've got a lot of people watching you. And I don't quite personally think that's bad. I think it also helps, actually, in the management process. Well, that's pretty good, especially if you want to be accountable. And these days, there's so many people that aren't. And, you know, it's interesting, as you start looking at the transition in the history of so many of these businesses, um, you started out, and we get back from the break, I want to ask you about this. You started out with one specific model, and you resisted the temptation to diversify for a number of years. And we get back, I'm going to ask you, Tom, what finally... uh, inspired you to make that decision to start diversifying your products and services? Because you held out for a long time, didn't you? Yes, we did. Okay. We're really intrigued today with a fascinating and candid discussion with Tom Golisano, one of the most admired uh, leader, business leaders in America today, as chronicled by Fortune, Wall Street Journal, Forbes for many years. When we get back, we're going to hear the next transition of how this company really took off. I'm John Resnick, and this is Legends of Success. These are the stories and strategies of America's greatest entrepreneurs. They are the legends of success. Once again, here's your host, John Resnick. We're back on Legends of Success. My guest today, our guest today, Tom Golisano, the founder and chairman of Paychex, one of the leading payroll systems and so many other diversifications that they now provide to small businesses, a niche that when Tom started this business, Everybody ignored. And, you know, let's go back to that for a second, Tom. Um, For many years, you stayed with one single business model. You didn't diversify. You resisted the temptation. Tell me about that. And then how did you decide to branch out into other services? That's a good point, John. Initially, uh, we decided that we were going to expand geographically Mm -hmm. rather than product-wise. And the reason for it is we had a formula that we know worked. We knew that if we had a certain number of clients in any market, that we were going to be profitable and the level of that profitability. And when there were so many large markets in the U.S. that we could take paychecks to, today we're in over 103 cities, uh, we thought we would be absolutely foolish if we started tinkering around with that model when we knew we had such a big opportunity in front of us just in payroll processing. But as the years went by, something else started to happen that influenced us, and that the government federal government, uh, uh, more than the states, started adding things to the employer-employee relationship that were making it more complex for the employers and could be a real opportunity for us as a service provider. For example, things like flexible spending accounts or cafeteria plans, 401k plans, uh, things like uh, ERISA and COBRA and mm-hmm. TEFRA. These are all things that added to the complexity of being an employer in the United States mm-hmm. and at the same time created a lot of benefits for employees, but at the same time you needed a processing or administrative process to handle these new complexities. Wow. So we had this client base of several hundred thousand companies across the U.S. and these new programs came along and now we thought the time was perfect for us to get into these areas because, first of all, the federal government had heightened the awareness about them. Uh, companies were starting to buy these services. And if you were doing the payroll, who would be in a better position to be a 401k service provider or a provider of workers' compensation insurance than the company that's doing the payroll? So consequently, we were able to go out to create these products and go out to existing clients and sell them these new services. And because we were doing the payroll for these companies, we became the low-cost provider and, more importantly, the most efficient and most accurate provider of anybody out there. What, is it all timing when you diversify, the timing of, of, of 
Because everyone says, well, it's all timing and luck. <laughs> well, I, I think the opportunity became more uh, apparent to us, uh, as I said, as the federal government started introducing these new programs into the employer-employee relationship. Mm-hmm. And it didn't take us long to listen to our sales organization to say, hey, companies are talking about 401k plans. Why aren't we providing them? Or companies are complaining about the workers' compensation insurance uh, situation. Why aren't we providing those services or cafeteria plans and so forth? So we started listening to our sales organization, and one by one we started adding these products. The great thing about our world, when we add a new service or a new product, it doesn't take a huge financial investment. Yes, we do some computer software work, and we dedicate some people to it, but we don't have to build huge factories and Hmm. uh, that type of thing and create inventories. We just start doing it one day, even if it's on a very uh, uh, non-automated basis. It it just worked out so well with, for example, with 401k that we moved on to cafeteria plans and then employee handbooks, etc., but what, what you did, you know, going back to a Harvard study, and, and actually when you look at it, it's pretty logical, that in the, the links of the chain of a successful business, the mo- one of the most, if not the most difficult step is distribution. Once you built your pipeline and had distribution, why not stuff it with other services that you're competent in? That's exactly right, John. And you can't imagine, well, maybe you can imagine, we probably get two phone calls a week from an organization that has what they think are great products and services, but mm-hmm. have no way to distribute them. Oh. Incredible. And uh, we, we look at them very, with a very discerning eye, mm-hmm. and we have made our decisions as to which ones we're going to get involved with and which ones we don't. But we realize the value of that distribution system and that sales organization that we have. Boy, that, that is a golden key. And, you know, Another question I wanted to ask you, Tom, we've been talking about paychecks uh, the, through this whole program. What else have you done? Have you done anything else outside of paychecks uh, that's entrepreneurial that we could hear about? Well, yes, I have. And, John, I'm afraid that, you know, once you get that entrepreneurial bent, it's hard to get rid of. I've invested literally in about seven or eight other companies. Mm-hmm. I haven't been involved in the day-to-day management, but certainly at a board level. And probably the most notable one was a company that uh, was started right here in Rochester, New York, by my nephew. And uh, I financed it, and he worked at it day-to-day. It was called SafeSite. Uh, S-A-F-E-S-I-T-E, and what it was was off-site storage of electronic and paper records. Yes, sir. In other words, instead of people or companies spending 15 to $25 a square foot to house records, we would put them in our facilities and charge them by the box or by the disc pack or by the computer tape. Mm-hmm. And it would be basically a service business where we would uh, retrieve records very quickly and deliver them back to the customer as needed. Well, I used the same format for that as I did paychecks. We got one started in Rochester. We got it to the break-even and making a little money. And then I went out and sought other partners for it. And one day woke up and realized we had nine other locations going uh, with nine other partners. And this time it was pretty well planned out that we were going to consolidate into one company like paychecks and either sell it or take it public. In the end, uh, we ended up consolidating. And instead of selling, uh, taking it public, we did sell it to a company called Iron Mountain. Wow. And now I actively serve on the board of Iron Mountain, which is now a $2 billion company. Jeez, I think I'm coming to Rochester to start a business. <laughs> <laughs> Will you give me a little hand there, Tom? <laughs> well, I think today there is many frontiers as there ever were. In sure. fact, with technology, I think there's more. You know, I don't want to inspire competition for paychecks, but really when you think about it, what percentage of the market have you uh, penetrated, and, and who's your biggest competitor? With 505,000 clients, we have about 6.5% of the marketplace that we uh, 
are offering services to. The industry as a whole has about 15% of the market, and our largest competitor is automatic data processing. ADP. So what we're really saying here, that in your wildest dreams, you've passed a billion in revenue, correct? Correct. Passed a billion. Your your biggest competitor is ADP, and combined, you've only penetrated 15% of the marketplace. Yeah, which means it's still a huge wide-open opportunity for both organizations and potentially others. Well, you know, maybe that's another opportunity. Somebody wants to start a business like that, build it up, and maybe flip it back to you guys. It's happened before. There you go, folks. You've got the first word, the hot tip of opportunities here on Legends of Success. Any other entrepreneurial things that, before we forget that? Well, I'm involved in some other things. Uh, I helped create a clinic for alternative medicine in Rochester. Really? And that was not successful. So just to make you uh, see this as a balanced situation here, oh, sure. that was not successful. Uh, I'm involved in a company that uh, creates small company intranets using the web instead of having to buy their own computer equipment and software, and that's called Blue Tie, mm-hmm. and that's off to a great start here in Rochester and around the country. I'm involved in a company called Pictometry that does aerial photographs and combines it with computer uh, technology to provide to uh, governments for public safety, for assessment of values, for zoning, that type of thing. And that's off. That's the company that did $3 million two years ago, did $8 million this past year, and probably will do 15 to $20 million next year. And, and you pretty much apply the same business principles to each, except you adapt them for the industry, correct? Uh, yes. I obviously have a very service orientation. I really believe in the service world, and I like the fact that you have a high level of recurring revenue. Let me ask you, there's a lot of people listening right now who are picking up some sage advice from you. If they asked you directly, if they could see you face-to-face and say, Tom, what advice do you have for me? I'm having a tough time. I know i got a great idea. I'm trying to build a business. What advice that you've learned for others that you could offer? Well, I not only learned this from my own personal uh, involvement, but I've also invested in several other businesses, John. And I think if there's one thing I've observed, that the biggest mistake that entrepreneurs make is that they always initially overestimate the sales activity they're going to have. I think a lot of entrepreneurs get caught up in the glory of it, and they think that just by hanging up their shingle and starting to offer a product that the world's going to come to them, Mm -hmm. and it just doesn't work that way. It takes a lot of time and perseverance and sales skills and so forth uh, to get it to happen. And, of course, what happens if you overestimate your sales activity, chances are you're going to run into a cash flow problem. (laughs) Yes. you, you, You know, that's where most entrepreneurs fall apart. Well, I've heard so many times, plan on it taking twice as long and at least 200% of the capital you envision. I would stand behind that philosophy that you just espoused 100%. It, it's pretty accurate, isn't it? It's usually twice the cash and twice the time. Yeah. It never comes as fast as you think it's going to. And it's you know sometimes very discouraging and disappointing. But if you believe in what you're doing and you can push away the clouds that, that influence your judgment in a, in a bad way, Mm-hmm. see the thing for really what it is, and you think it will work, then I'd stay with it. Tom, tell me about a couple of the founding principles that you, Tom Golisano, has always stood for individually and with paychecks. What makes Tom Golisano who you are? Well, if there's one thing that I have preached and tried to live by since day one is an organization, a company, has three masters. The first master is your clients. They provide your revenue. Uh, and your ability to operate. The second master, you have to provide uh, 
to your employees a good place to work. There has to be job opportunity and job satisfaction. And the third master an organization or a company has to serve, of course, is its owners or shareholders. And they deserve a decent rate of return for their investment. You bet. We try to keep those things balanced uh, so that all of us can win. Yes, everyone's a stakeholder. And, And again, the importance, Tom, if you could sum that up in about a minute, minute and a half, the importance of giving back with integrity all the way through the process, but especially once you've won the game. Well, I mean, there's a lot of aspects to that. I could give you some of the trite ones. Well, you can't take it with you, so why not? Get, put it to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, second, giving it away is a lot more fun than earning it and a lot more gratifying than earning it. And those two trite expressions are generally true. But uh, do you remember back in the old days, there used to be a football game on, at the end of the college football season. It's called the Shriners game in Chicago. And it had a saying, and that saying was, strong legs run so that weak legs can walk. And I really believe that's what we're all about as a as human beings and as a society. Boy, that's great. And and what as far as looking forward, that was great sage advice. What are your biggest strategic challenges for paychecks moving forward? Well, I think uh, moving over to another country and internationally is going to be very interesting. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a huge challenge, but we're certainly going to have to go through a learning curve. And when we look at uh, Western Europe, as far as payroll processes is concerned, yes. it looks like the United States looked about 25 years ago. In other words, wide open opportunity and everybody avoiding the low end of the marketplace. I just thank you for, for being so giving uh, on behalf of all our listeners. I enjoyed it, John, immensely. I want to thank Laura Saxby Lynch and Becky Kania from Paychecks. You've been listening to Legends of Success, the most original and exclusive success stories in America. I'm John Resnick. We'll see you next week. This is Ethan Resnick. You're listening to Legends of Success.